Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. Good morning, church. Let me show you what I got for Christmas. Please tell me I look cool. Somebody said I look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. I wasn't sure if he was complimenting me or not, but you all look different when I looked at you through this. I pray today you would get a fresh revelation, that you would look differently, that you would see differently, that you would see Jesus differently. Now, cool story. Woman woke up two weeks before Christmas. She rolled over to her husband and said, Honey, I just had this fabulous dream. In the dream, you were giving me a beautiful gold necklace. I wonder what it means, she said to him. And he said, Well, Christmas is two weeks away. We'll find out. One week before Christmas, she rolled over as she woke up and said, Honey, I had this beautiful dream. I dreamed you gave me a pearl necklace. I wonder what it means. He says, well, Christmas is one week away. You're going to find out. The morning before Christmas, she woke up. She said, honey, I dreamt you gave me a diamond necklace. (laughs) What does it mean? (laughs) He said, well, honey, you're going to find out tonight. That night, he brought this box to her. She was so excited. She opened it up. And therein, guess what? It was a book that said, Hard to Interpret Dreams. (laughs) You might have got your dream present today. Maybe you didn't. The truth is, many people find Christmas actually quite stressful. Many people find Christmas hard in some ways. But today, I want to speak to you about a -a one-of-a-kind love, the love that we experience because of Christmas, the love that we've been made for, the love that we, we crave for, the love we dream of. You know, psychologists tell us that people will do anything to keep love or to get love, to be loved. And in truth, there is one grand story about love. There is one narrative that's the epic. And it's the love of the Father for us. It's the love of the bridegroom Jesus for his bride. All love stories, all love stories are just spin-offs of this incredible story of God's love. Now the question is sometimes asked, how do you know if it's love? And, and how do you measure love? And do you really love me? How deep is your love? And there was a young man who came home, and he said to his dad, Dad, I'm going to marry her. I love her. I'm going to propose to her. And the father said, Son, are you, are you in love? Are you really in love? He said, I am. I'm definitely in love. He says, Well, how do you know? How do you know that you're in love? How deep is your love? How do you know that you're in love? He said, Well, when I was kissing her goodbye, her dog started to bite me, and I didn't feel it until I got home. 
When there is love, sacrifice doesn't feel like sacrifice. And when there is love, there are deeds that are done. Some are small and some are momentous. There are epic deeds done and there are deeds done that are just consistent. And there are words that are spoken that are truthful and loving. I want to take you to the greatest announcement of all time. Meet me in your Bible in Luke chapter 2. Now, Luke chapter 2, the first part is, is really a, a tale of two kings. Or a tale of an emperor, Augustus Caesar. Augustus means sublime. He was the first Roman emperor. And he declared the Pax Romana, the, the, rule, of Ra- the rule of Rome, over the whole world, the whole known world. And he also declared a census. And the purpose behind the census, he thought, was taxes, taxes, taxes. That's why they had censuses in those days. But in truth, it was God orchestrating for prophecy to be fulfilled. That Jesus would be born not in Nazareth, but in Bethlehem. So the greatest announcement is not the Pax Romana, although that would have seemed to the people to be the greatest announcement of all. Or the census that caused everybody to have to move their whole lives around to be in the city of their birth. Let's read the greatest announcement of all time. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Whenever people meet angels, there's fear because they are so glorious, let alone how glorious God is. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, that's Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly, it's like they couldn't help themselves, these angels, Suddenly, instantaneously, portal is opened. A great company of heavenly hosts. That word host is like a military term. It's like divisions, legions of angels appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Our God chooses shepherds. The lowest of the low, apart from lepers, they were the second lowest. Shepherds that their testimonies were not trusted. You wouldn't trust a shepherd's testimony because they're always trespassing. They're always stealing. And yet the greatest announcement of all time is made to them. It's made to the outcasts. It's made to the rejected. It's made to the shepherds. It's made to the sinners. Why? Because God comes to those who need him. God reveals himself to the hungry. God comes to those who say, Lord, Here I am. I need you. But to those who are self-satisfied, to those who are content in their sin and and, and their own lives, he doesn't come. And the message is one of good news, of great joy, that there is a Savior, and he has come to fulfill every prophetic word spoken about this Messiah. And then this message is like amplified. These legions of angels And they're saying, yes, you are loved. And there is a God, and he's for you, and he has come down. Emmanuel, God with us. 
Now, I want you to consider this moment, this Luke chapter 2 moment, in the context that it is. It's in an incredible arc. The arc is this of love found, love lost, and then love rescued. I don't know about you, and it's bothered me at times, I don't cry much at funerals. It kind of worried me at times. Um, And I've reflected on it. I think it's because I'm often on duty. I'm often ministering. I'm often helping people. So I just, I hold it back and I suppress it so I can can be there for other people. I don't cry much at funerals. But I'll tell you when I do cry. When the husband and the wife have been fighting when they reconcile in a movie, I just lose it. (laughs) When they found the dog that was lost... (laughs) I'm finished. <laughs> when there's been a catastrophe, a tragedy, and then they're saved out of the wreckage, that's me. I'm done. Love found, love lost, and then love rescued. This is the greatest story. There was a little boy who made a yacht, handmade a yacht, wood and cloth and string, and it was perfect. He created it, he designed it, he had made it, and he, and he took it so proudly to the local lake close to, close to where he lived, and he, and he put it out, and it started to sail just perfectly along the shoreline, and him walking along, and, and then all of a sudden, this great wind came up and took the yacht, and it sped across the other way, across the lake, far across the lake, and he ran as fast as he could to try to keep up with it, and he couldn't, and eventually he saw it disappearing to the reeds, and, and he got there, and he tried to find it, and and he couldn't find it. This yacht that he had made himself, designed and made and created, and he was broken, dejected, and he walked home, and he told his parents, and he shed some tears. And a couple of days later, he was walking through town, and he walked past this antique shop, and, and there it was. There it was, the yacht that he had made, this little yacht. And, and he went to the store owner, and he said, can I buy it? Can I, it's mine. And he said, well, you have to buy it. He, he brought all his savings, he brought every single bit of money that he had, and he begged the, uh, begged the owner, begged the store owner, and the store owner finally parted with it. And he took this little yacht with which he exchanged all his money, and he said, you are twice mine. I made you, and now I've bought you. You are twice mine. The great ark is that God has created us. Our sin, our rebellion has separated us from him. And here at this moment in Luke chapter 2 is the start of love being rescued, of our lives being taken out of darkness into his glorious light. My friends, we need to recognize this. We have been made for eternity. We live in an eternal supernatural world. I'm not talking about the stars. They will fade out in time. But, but Jesus himself is described in Revelation 13 as the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. In eternity past, God had already foreordained, foreplanned. Jesus is the lamb slain from the very beginning before time. From the very beginning of time before time. Jesus is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And it says in Ecclesiastes that God has put eternity in our hearts. You know you made for more. You know you made for more. There's eternity within us. 
And we do well to recognize this. The, the supernatural is close by. I've seen too many miracles. I've seen too many signs and wonders to ever doubt the eternal, to ever doubt the supernatural. And I pray, just as those angels appeared in the flesh and, and they saw it, that today God would touch your heart if it's never happened before and give you a glimpse, give you a taste of eternity and of the supernatural because we do well, we do so well to live in the face of eternity, to live in the face of what we see in the flesh is just, just the infinitesimal part of the greatness of the universe that is unseen. Secondly, we need to understand, and, and I know this is very much a narrative, that there really is a good king, and there really is an evil sorcerer. It's not just a Jungian archetype or, or wish fulfillment. There's a good, holy, loving God who saves us, there is good and there is evil. There is right and there is wrong. What you do with your life matters. There's Satan and there's the Lord and, and they're not equal. God created Lucifer who fell, who rebelled and became Satan. And he's evil and he's out to destroy you, to accuse you, to frustrate you, or to just distract you from being and doing what you should be doing. But our God is good. Our God is great. Our God is merciful, and He is powerful. And, and maybe you had a great father figure in your life. Maybe you had a great opa, father, grandfather. Maybe you had a great father. Maybe not. We recognize that there's an attack on the image of father in society. And you know, the, the patriarchy, etc. And, and often it's because of the sins of the father. It's understandable why there's a criticism, why there's an attack. But friends, there is a good father. There is a great father. And he loves you. And he is for you. And the good father sent his son. And this is the great announcement. That there's a good God who's sending his son Jesus, who's the savior for your life. Now, most of humanity lives under the spell under the control, under the power of evil. Why? Because of the sin and rebellion of those who have gone before us, because of what people did in generations past. We live in bondage because of the sin of those around us, because of what they do. And we also live in sin and bondage because of our own rebellion, because of what we do ourselves. Romans chapter 1 says that at the very least, we know what is right and wrong. We know, and yet we suppress it. We reject it because we don't want to face it. The truth is, deep in our soul, we long for Eden. Eden means delight. We long for that love of God. We long for that fellowship with God. And yet we are under this, this bondage of sin because of our rebellion. Without the unflinching understanding of the radical nature of evil and sin, our Christian faith is nothing but a suburban bedtime story. Why do I say that? Because without it, we don't need Jesus. We don't need the Savior. Savior means nothing. If we don't understand that what we are facing outside of Jesus and the bondage that we are in outside of his love, 
and mercy. Tim Keller from New York City says this, and I love it. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and more accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. I'll say it again. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus than we ever dared hope. People who are not sick don't need a doctor, right? And people who are sinless don't need a savior. But the Bible says, but all have sinned and fallen short to the glory of God. And, and this is the truth. At Christmas, our heroic king punched through. He punched through, but brought a hole between his world and ours, and he came to save us from our rebellion, from the evil that has beset us. You know, the preponderance of Marvel movies and DC movies and stuff that you can pick up all over the place, Netflix, Showmax, whatever, there's within us this desire for a hero. There's this, within us this desire for someone to save us. Jesus is the heroic king, and he has come for you. And that's why the angels went ballistic. That's why they screamed and shouted and praised God. There's only one hero qualified to save us, only one to transform us and to set us free. During the 17th century, Oliver Cromwell, for me one of the most fascinating people of all history, sentenced a soldier to death for his crimes. The execution, he decreed, would take place as the great curfew bell rang. Curfew, everybody had to go inside. That night, the bell did not sound. The soldier's fiancée had climbed up the tower into the belfry, and she had clung to that great clapper, and as they pulled it, she prevented it from striking by taking the hits upon her own body. She was summoned by Cromwell to give an account for actions. She wept as she showed him her bruised and bleeding body. Cromwell's heart was touched, and he said, your lover shall live because of your sacrifice. The curfew bell shall not ring tonight. This is why it says the glory of the Lord shone around, because God had broken through in love to set us free and to take upon himself your sin and mine. That is why the angel said, I bring you good news of great joy. Because it's so good. Because of Jesus, we face eternity full of joy, full of peace, full of love. That's why the angel declared, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Now, He is a Savior like no other. Most saviors come in glory, they come in strength, they come in helicopters, they come with missiles. Jesus comes, he's born not in a palace, not on a feather bed, no blue light brigade surrounding him. He's born in a manger in, in dubious circumstances. Church historians tell us that what he should have done, where they should have stayed, was with family, because they had gone back to Bethlehem. 
But because of the dubiousness of, of Mary's pregnancy, nobody wanted to have them. It wasn't just room in the inn. It was family was not accepting them. And so this baby is born in a, in a stinking, filthy, that's not the way it looked, okay? That's not the way it looked. That like so pretty and beautiful. This is the sign to you. He will be born, he'll be wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. God, it's an image of God coming down, giving up his glory, giving up his might and strength, and coming down to meet us where we are. He left the splendor of heaven, knowing his destiny was a lonely hill, there to lay his life down for me. Even in pain and death, he remembered the thief hanging by his side. He spoke with love and compassion, then he took him to paradise. If that isn't love, the ocean is dry. There's no stars in the sky and the sparrow can't fly. If that isn't love, then heaven's a myth. There's no feeling like this if this isn't love. He is a savior like no other. During World War II, a number of British soldiers were captured by the Japanese and they were taken into the jungle to build bridges. And it was the most Horrific conditions. Famous book and movie called The Bridge Over the River Kwai. These soldiers that had been captured degenerated into bar barbarous behavior towards one another. But one afternoon, something happened that changed them forever. A shovel was missing. And the Japanese officer in charge became enraged and he demanded that the shovel be presented or else. Nobody budged. He threatened them. He said, I'm going to kill you all, every one of this company. And it was obvious that he meant to do that. Finally, one man stepped forward. The officer put away his gun. He picked up a spade and, and he beat him to death. This is a true story. When it was over, the survivors picked him up, picked up the bloody corpse and carried it back to their compound. They went back to the tool shed, as they always did to count the shovels, and they found that no shovel was missing. Indeed, there'd been a miscount on the first count. And the word spread like wildfire across the whole camp. An innocent man had been willing to die for others. And the incident had a profound effect. The men began to treat each other like brothers. When finally the victorious allies swept in, the survivors, now like human skeletons, they lined up in front of their captors. And instead of attacking them, instead of beating them, instead of wanting to kill them, they insisted on this. No more hatred. No more killing. Now what we need is forgiveness. Our Savior is a Savior like no other. He has taken the sin of the whole world, and he transforms us. So the question is asked, and it's, and it's a valid one. Why is there so little peace in the world? Were the angels lying? You know, for some people, when they say peace at Christmas time, peace means I managed to wrap my presents on time. <laughs> for some people, peace at Christmas time just simply means I don't have to go to work. 
57% of Americans actually look forward to the Christmas season ending because they don't find peace. For the last 3,500 years of human history, we've had 286 years of peace. The rest of the time, there's been warfare. The previous century, the 20th century, was the bloodiest century the world has ever faced. Over 60 million people killed in World War II, let alone other wars. There are some countries that have been at war for decades. And right now, in Europe, Ukraine and Russia seem just on the precipice of going to war. What about relationships? We see so much heartache. We see divorce. We see conflict. We know that Christmas causes anxiety levels to rise. And Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 12 and Matthew, he said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. So he talked about division between people who are following him and, and people who aren't following him. So if it's not primarily peace between nations and it's not primarily peace between people, what is it? Man has not given God a reason to be at peace with him. Man has not given God a reason to be at peace with him. And from the beginning, he sent his prophets and he, and he called us to repent and to turn away. And we didn't heed him. So what does it mean? Peace comes to those on whom his favor rests. And how does his favor rest? That we respond like the shepherds. We respond with humility. We don't hide our sin. We don't make out like we are self-content, wealthy in ourselves. But we put our faith in Jesus. We confess our sins. We confess our need for him. We acknowledge where we have failed. His favor rests on the humble. In fact, the word of God says God gives grace to the humble. But he resists the proud. I wish for you a blessed Christmas. I wish for you a Christmas filled with the love of God and the joy of God. It doesn't just happen because you get a Christmas card. It doesn't happen because you eat Christmas cake. It happens because you receive the Savior. It happens because you say, Jesus, I put my trust in you. It happens because you say, Jesus, my faith is in you. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Come into those parts of, of my heart as a believer that I've kept you out. I welcome you. I receive you. I need you. Whether you're a child or whether you're a grandparent, whether you, you're rich or whether you're poor, it doesn't matter. Whether you're unemployed or whether you're a CEO, shareholder, super wealthy, it doesn't matter. The question is, Will you receive that peace that Jesus brings? Will you allow the favor of God to come upon you? And if it has, and I pray it has, and if it hasn't, we'll give you an opportunity to pray in a moment. But if it has, and I pray it has, you know what's next? Once you've got peace with God, peace comes with ourselves. There's no longer a schism inside of us. There's no longer this conflict. We're no longer, am I for God or am I for myself? Because Jesus takes first place as Lord of your life. And peace comes into your heart and into your life. Open your heart up to him today. Let him take first place as Lord of, of your life because then peace will come with yourself. And, and then thirdly, peace comes with others. And, and, and let me break this down in a, in a bit more detail. As people who've received the mercy 
and the love of God. We've experienced it. You know what happens? We become peacemakers. We become peacebringers. For Christ's love compels us because we've received his love. Because of it, it says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, who gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Let me ask a question. Who of you are ministers here today? Every one of us should be lifting up our hands. <laughs> we have been made, according to 1 Corinthians 5, God has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. If you've received the love of God, if you've received the mercy of God, if you've received the peace of God, He has now called you and set you apart and made you a minister of reconciliation. And now, plan A is you to be his ambassadors. So as you've received the love of God, this should be your response. Christ's love compels me. Compels me to reach out to my neighbors. Compels me to love those who have hurt me, to forgive those who have, have wronged me. Christ's love compels us. And we become, because of what Jesus has done, because he broke through into our world, we become his ambassadors. And we become ministers of reconciliation. Christmas Eve, 1914. World War I is happening. Over a million people have already died. The Germans are about 75 kilometers from Paris. Cold, cold. December the 24th, Christmas Eve. Trenches between the British and the German soldiers. And the German soldiers start singing Silent Night, obviously in German, but the British soldiers hear it and they start singing it back. And then they start lifting up signs in each other's language and they Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to you. And then they, you can read about this, then they gingerly start to approach one another. They come out of the trenches without their weapons and they shake each other's hands. These men who were moments before killing each other and they exchanged sweets and, and cigarettes, and, and they even had a football game. <laughs> they became peacemakers and peace bringers. The officers, when they heard about this freaked out, they brought in other troops. They're like, this is not good. <laughs> we're for war. We're not for peace. When Christ comes into our life, when we get a revelation of Christmas, we become priest bringers. We become peacemakers. As I conclude, this is the greatest story. It's the greatest story of all time. That he made us. We rebelled. He came after us. And he gave us our all. It melts our hearts. And it should melt our hearts. I want to give you an opportunity. We're going to take communion. But before we do that, I want to give you an opportunity. If, if you're not right with God, will you make your day today a day of saying, here I am, Jesus. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. But I am going to ask you to bow your heads now as we pray. I'm going to ask you to decisively to say, Jesus, come into that part of my life that I've been resisting. Or come into all of my life as I've been rebelling against you.
If that's your decision today, I'm going to ask that you decisively do something, and that is lift up your hand. This is for you. It's not for me. By lifting up your hand, you're saying, Jesus, come in. Jesus, come into my life. I receive your mercy. I receive your grace. I receive your love. I receive your forgiveness. If that's you, lift up your hand. I'm not going to make you come forward. Just lift up your hand. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters lifting up their hands. Lord, pour out your love upon them. Pour out your mercy upon them. Pour out your grace upon them. Lord, set them free from the bondage of sin. Set them free from the pain of sin. Set them free from the heartache of sin. Touch them today. Jesus, come into that part of their life where, where they've resisted you in the past. They're now surrendering. For those who are committing themselves to you afresh or for the first time, Jesus, come in. Take first place and bring your peace, bring your love, and bring your grace. Thank you, Jesus, that you made us in your image, that you love us, and you came down to pay the price for us because of our rebellion. We give you all the honor. We give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.